Our sermon today is from Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. Come on, there we go. Luke 9, 28 through 36. That's found on page 1,102 in your Black Pew Bible or 1,254 in the Adventure Bible. Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. And I read in Jesus' name. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed him, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out and the of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study Your Word, we ask that You would guide us in this, Lord, in this crazy passage, that You would bless us, that we might be able to apply some of these truths into our lives, or to live them out to be more like Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, in all honesty, this has been one of the more difficult passages to prepare a sermon on. And I don't, actually, I do know why, because as I thought through all the sermons on this text and all the devotionals I've ever read on this text, very few of them actually dealt with the text. They, they, did, they dealt with something else. And so it's like, as I was studying this, I, I can't just use them as some sort of background reference. I had to struggle through it all on my own. So what do we do? What do we talk about? Well, one of the things, and so as I was praying about this, what's going on here? And it struck me, Jesus is discipling one of the things that's going on and i say one of the things because there's multiple things going on you know the revelation of who god is being shown into this world that's one of the things going on here and the the miraculous and the spiritual nature of our world that's one of the things going on here and but one of the things and one of the things that i can actually talk about and understand and apply is discipleship jesus is discipling peter james and john through this mountaintop experience. And so when I talk about discipleship, I'm not just talking about what Jesus did with the disciples, and I'm not just talking about what I do as a pastor, but really, if, if, you, have, if you have someone in your life that you have influence, you have influence in their lives, whether that's a child, a grandchild, a husband, or a wife, or a friend, you, are, you have the opportunity to be a disciple maker, co-worker, you name it you have the opportunity to be a discipler. 
This is your calling. Because what it's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and be friends with everybody. No. It's to make disciples of all nations. And so it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to have an opportunity. Okay. So if this is your calling, and this is your calling, not just mine, this is your calling. I can say that in an absolute sense. Your call is to make disciples. How do we do that? Jesus shows us some of his techniques right here. The first thing he did is he took the disciples with him to pray. Now, how many of you like your spiritual life to kind of be private, quiet? You have your personal quiet time, right? I like that. I need that. When my family gets up, my personal quiet time is done. <laughs> it's, it's just done. It's over. I, you know, this, I was trying to read some more of, I was trying, reading Joel this morning, and I was reading Joel, and, you know, and Anton was sitting there putting together Legos. And, you know, the great thing about Anton putting together Legos is he likes to show me what he's putting together. I have a hard time reading and looking. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just meant that my quiet time was over. So this is actually a hard calling for us. When we make disciples, I'm not saying this should be all of our quiet time because there's a number of times in the book, in the Gospels, where Jesus goes away from all of the disciples. He sends them off somewhere else. You guys go through that stormy lake. I'm going to go over here and pray. You know, (laughs) Jesus sends the disciples off and he goes up to the mountain to pray. But this time when he went up to the mountain to pray, he brought other disciples with him. He brought these guys with him. And so as, as you're walking with the Lord, how do we make disciples? It's by inviting other people into our walk with the Lord. How do we pray? This is one of the reasons why I encourage people, if you get a prayer request, stop right there, pray with them. Because a lot of people don't know how to pray. I've interacted with pastors who don't know how to pray in public without a written prayer. You give them a prayer request, they don't know how to deal with it. But if you ask them to say a prayer, they'll recite something. Um, what was that meal prayer that your children always would recite? Something about at, at thy behest? There. See? I don't know what that means. But <laughs> it sounds good. It's, it rhymes. You know? Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, I've run into pastors who know to, don't know how to do this. So how do we teach people to pray? It's by praying with them. That's how we teach people to pray. It's by showing this stuff. The fascinating thing about this is this was a common thing in Jesus' life. Oftentimes, in the Gospels, we hear about Jesus praying. And so it's, he's not creating this amazing opportunity. What he's doing is this is how he lives. Jesus prays. So how does Jesus disciple? By bringing people into his prayer life. When Jesus was performing miracles, who was there? The disciples were there. When Jesus was teaching the crowds, who was there? The disciples were there. He brought them along into all the things that he did. He brought them along into his common, everyday walk with God. Because how do we learn to walk with God? It's by someone teaching us to walk with God. What's the best way to do that? It's by showing We show it. We evidence it. We live it out. As we live it out, then we're discipling those who are around us. As I live out my walk with God, I'm discipling those who see my walk with God. And this is how we disciple. And so as we're doing these things, I remember a quote from Jerry Moen, 
uh, talking about church and why we have things the way we have them, but nevertheless, it works for our own lives too. Everything matters because everything teaches. And so we need to think about that. As I'm doing this, am I doing this in such a way that it teaches the things that I wanted to teach? So as Jesus was, <laughs> took the disciples up to do something common, to pray, God showed up. Now, it's interesting, the disciples were with Jesus praying fairly often. How many times was Jesus transfigured? Just once. So do we expect a mountaintop experience at every prayer time? No. Do we expect a mountaintop experience every time we evangelize? How many of you have ever talked to someone about Jesus and had an amazing experience? Any of you ever have that? I have. How many of you have ever talked to someone about Jesus and had an awful experience? I've done that before too. So, at this point, Jesus was altered. This whole situation was changed. But so why do we bring people with us often? Because we never know when that great experience is going to happen. We never know when that whole situation is going to be changed and we're going to see the glory of God. We never know. I can't predict that. This is one of the reasons why um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we should never skip church because we never know when the Holy Spirit will show up in a marvelous way. And I think about that. We never know. And he, he went on to say we should be always anticipating every, and he's talking to preachers. I don't know he's talking to preachers and saying this. He was a preacher, and so sometimes we deviate. We, should, we never know, but we should always be expecting the Holy Spirit to show up at every service. And that should excite us to be in the body of Christ. You know, you think about that. We should be expecting this. What's the Holy Spirit going to do today? Not like, oh, i got to go to church again and listen to Pastor Joe talk for half an hour if he's short-winded. <laughs> no, this is, we never know. When our eyes are going to be open, we're going to see everything differently. We never know. So that's why we bring people along. That's why we allow them into our lives because sometimes just in the common thing that we do, they're going to see a lot more. That's what forgiveness looks like. That's what love looks like. That's what trust looks like. That's what hope looks like. That's what these things look like. We, for us, they're common. But for them, they're revelations of the truth of God. So what does Jesus reveal? Jesus reveals, this, the transfiguration reveals Jesus. Who is Jesus really? Because Jesus looked like a common guy. You know, he didn't go around glowing, no matter what the icons or the pictures, you know, he didn't go around with a halo shining over his head and glory emanating from him in a visible manner. That would have been cool, but he didn't do that. You know, Isaiah goes so far as to say he is, he is not comely looking. He doesn't attract comely. Who uses that word? He doesn't attract our attention because he's so handsome. You know, that wasn't Jesus. He didn't have that external but here he did because the truth of what was inside of him was revealed. And there's a reality here that we need to grab hold of as Christians. Who are we really inside as Christians? Are we just this? Or is there more? Is there glory being worked in us? Yeah. Think about that for a moment. 
that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Just stop and meditate on that. You're not just Kevin. You're not just Monica. You're not just Richard. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, resides inside of you. Lives there. Is leading you, is guiding you, is speaking to you, is changing you. That's inside. That's what's revealed. We pray that God let Him be revealed. That's the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What are the spiritual gifts? Manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What's a manifestation? It's the revelation of that which was hidden. That which is hidden comes out. So we pray, Lord, transfigure us. Let that which is inside, which is the Holy Spirit, come out. May I not veil it anymore in my sinful flesh. Because that's what I do. When I'm not revealing God rightly, I'm veiling Him through my sinful flesh. Here, Christ put on flesh to veil Himself, but now the Holy Spirit reveals Himself. You think about that. And I think about that, it's just, it's mind-blowing. You see why I had a hard time figuring out what in the world to talk about with this sermon. Like, this is us, too. God, may your truth be revealed. Don't see Joe. See the Holy Spirit. But not only did he reveal Christ rightly, he revealed prayer rightly. Prayer isn't one-way communication. You know, and that's fascinating. We, and we talked about this somewhat in our adult Bible study. But as Jesus is praying here, what happens? Someone else shows up. Here we've got Moses and Elijah. Now, I'm not saying that we should be praying to the saints. Don't get me wrong with that. That's, I'm not saying that at all. But as we're praying... Do we take time to listen? I hope you do. Because God speaks. And here we have God speaking through saints. God speaking to Jesus through the saints. And at the Garden of of Gethsemane, I don't know why I do that, but it does seem to reset my brain. Um, You should try it sometime. Um, At the Garden of Gethsemane, who came to minister to Jesus as he prayed? Angels. As Abraham prayed, who showed up? Angels. As Moses prayed, who showed up? God. You know, you, but you think about that. As we're praying, who shows up? Is it just me praying one direction? Or is there more going on here? Does God speak to us? Yeah. Now, what all does that look like? Does that mean that sometimes you're going to, sometimes you get a word? Sometimes you get a Bible verse. I was praying this morning about what, you know, since the Sanchez's have the stomach flu, Edgar, I didn't want Edgar to come, you know, to teach because I didn't want our family to get stomach flu. (sighs) That's awful when it goes through the household. But I was praying, Lord, what should I teach on? And a Bible verse came to mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Well, passage, sorry. Not just one verse, two verses. Passage came to mind. All right, we'll go with that. And you know what? It worked out well. I think it worked out well. You have to ask the people that were in there. But then something comes. Sometimes it's a Bible verse. Sometimes it's a word. I was praying about something the other day and I, I just I realized, I realized the defensiveness and the suspicion that exists within our culture. It's like, God, what's going on in our culture? Defensiveness and suspicion. That's the problem. Oh, so what do we need? Openness and trust. Oh, you know what? That's right. And those words, they just came to my head. Am I saying that God was speaking to me? It's like, I don't know exactly where these came from, but I do think that the Holy Spirit was speaking. He's like, 
you need to be praying about this. Praying against defensiveness and suspicion, praying for openness and trust. Within my life, within our lives, and within the greater lives of America. We need to be praying against two, praying for the other two. Oh, okay. So does the Holy Spirit speak? Does God send the saints? I was listening to a Catholic talk about praying to the saints, and he said, yeah, we pray to the saints all the time. We lose something. We say, Tony, Tony, turn around. Tony, Tony, turn around. Something's lost that must be found. And supposedly, St. Anthony is the Catholic saint of finding lost things. And it's like, I'm, I'm confused. I don't think that's what this is teaching us. But I think that's what's being taught is that prayer isn't just one direction. Prayer is a dialogue. God speaks back. Do you listen? When you pray, listen. What is God saying? You know, because I can, I can talk about multiple times. Think about when we were, I was praying about the, us in our infertility. I was praying, God, give us a child. And as I prayed, God, give us a child, I felt that I just did something wrong. You guys ever felt like you just did something wrong and didn't know exactly why and what it was? I felt like I'd just done something wrong, so I stopped. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? And on impulse, I said, Lord, give us children. That's the right prayer. We now have three. Do we listen? Do we listen? I could go on, but I'm not going to. Prayer isn't just one direction. It's not, it's not just me reading, reading off my laundry list to God. Okay, God, I want you to do this, 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 and thank you for this. Thank you. That's not prayer. That's, not, that's a prayer, and that's fine. But it needs to grow. And it also reveals the truth about Christ's exodus. This says, I don't, I don't like this translation, um, of you know, his departure. It's not a departure. He's not just leaving. He's exodusing. He's bringing everybody, all of his followers with him. When Moses had the exodus, was it just Moses leaving Egypt? He did that and nobody followed. And he wandered alone in the wilderness for 40 years himself. And then God sent him back to bring the Jewish people. That's the exodus. And so this is speaking about the reality of why is Christ here? Christ isn't here just for himself. He isn't here just to prove God. People talk about that. Well, Jesus came just to show us the love of God. Like, no, he did do that. I'm not disagreeing with that. But he came to remove us from this world so that we don't need to live in it anymore. This is the reality. Death, resurrection, forgiveness, salvation, love, grace, mercy, all of these things, his exodus, that's what's being revealed. The disciples thought it was about an earthly kingdom. Here we're revealed, it's revealed that this is an exodus. This isn't about some earthly kingdom. This is about the heavenly kingdom. This is about something so much greater. And we need to live in that too. As people talk about being afraid of what's going on in America, what kingdom are we living for? Really? What kingdom are we living for? Should I be afraid? No. I don't need to fear what's going on here because as the darkness grows, we can shine brighter. If everything's bright, a candle doesn't look like much. Look at it. But when we turn off the lights, I'll do that right now. Did they get brighter? Their brightness shows better. 
Think about that. This is you. This is me. I don't see your light. Well, when everything's bright, they don't see the light. But when things are dark, that brightness shows. So don't fear the darkness. We're candles. We are lights. He lives in us. So they responded. How, how did they deal with it? Well, being good disciples, they were distracted. They were sleepy, as you guys are right now. Joe, when are you going to be done? But you know, the interesting thing is, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that. He doesn't get after them. He doesn't say, hey, numbskulls. Doesn't, he doesn't do that. He trusts God. So as you're discipling, as you're letting your light shine into this world, and we live in a world that's sleepy right now, they're hoping, I'm hoping, I'm praying that they're waking up, that this world is waking up to the truth of God. But as they're sleepy, what do we do? We trust God to wake them at the right time because we don't have that power. We can't change their lives. We can't change their lives, but we can show them who does. We can let them see the light of God and pray that they'd be able to see it, that they would wake up. And so the disciples were distracted. And then that question comes to me, Joe, are you paying attention? Hmm. Not always. Sometimes I miss the true glory of God because I'm thinking in the wrong way. Because I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about all the work that I have to do and how sleepy I am. Think about myself. Rather than looking out and looking at God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this world? And the best part about this, as they saw the truth of God, they understood none of it. <laughs> Think about that. This changed them without their understanding. They couldn't explain it. They couldn't describe it. Peter didn't know what he was saying. I, I get that oftentimes too. It's like, I don't know what I'm saying. Peter was there, but he didn't get it. Do we always need to get it? No. We don't need to get it all the time. Absolutely. You see something happening. You don't, don't know what's going on. You don't know why this is happening. That's okay. That's okay. You don't need to understand everything. Believe it or not, you can trust God. He understands what's going on. He might reveal it to you later. But at that point, you get confused. Okay. Someone's confused by something you say. Don't worry about it. Trust God. Really. Trust God. I tried teaching them. I tried talking to them about Jesus and they just didn't get it. So what? Who do you trust? Your ability to convince them or God's ability to convince them? He might use you, but that doesn't mean that you're the one doing it. With man, these things are impossible. With God, everything's possible. Nothing is impossible. And finally, they were silenced. Now, this one threw me through a loop. And it, until I was, I was talking to someone earlier this week, and, and it reminded me of a couple of other people that I've spoken with. Why were they silent? It seems that the more, that the greater the awe, so the more intimate the connection you have with God, if you have an, a very intimate experience with God, that's going to create awe. 
as you interact with God. God. Think about that for a moment. This is God. We have the opportunity to interact with God. I don't think we take that serious. I don't take that seriously enough. I can't speak for you guys, but I know that I don't take that serious. I don't think about that to the depths that it actually deserves to be thought about. But the more intimate your experience with God, the longer you're silent about it. Because it's just, it's so big. God is so big. God is so big. I think about when I received the assurance of my salvation and how long it took for me to be able to describe what was going on. It took years for me to be able to describe it. I tried, but I couldn't communicate it. I didn't know what was going on. I was talking to someone else this week who had had an experience with God, and, and they still don't talk to people about it. This isn't a knock on the disciples. This is a demonstration of the depth of that experience with God. They saw the truth of who God was, is. And so if you have an experience with God, it's like, I don't, I don't know how to, who do I tell about this? What do I do with this? That's okay. Trust God. Allow Him to, to sift it out and to show you and to teach you bits and pieces and to, uh, allow Him to bring it together. Allow Him. You don't have to figure it out. Just ask, Lord, show me. I don't know what to do with this. That's okay. Because you know what? Even through that, He is changing you and making you into better, into a greater disciple of Christ. Because that's His goal. What is God's goal for your life? What is God's, you guys ever ask that question? What's God's will for my life? I can tell you right now, it's to sanctify you. It's to make you more like Jesus. He wants you saved and he wants you sanctified. So it's like, why am I going through this? Oh, it's because God's trying to sanctify me. Why did God give me this great gift? Oh, it's because God's trying to sanctify me. He's trying to make us more like Christ. And so he's discipling us. That doesn't mean, you know, I don't have this up there, but I'm going to say it anyways because I do that. How many disciples did Jesus have at this point? Twelve, right? How many came with him? Three. How many were left out of this mountaintop experience? Nine. Does everybody have to always have a mountaintop experience? No. Does a mountaintop experience make you a disciple of Jesus? No. Does not having a mountaintop experience make you a lesser disciple of Jesus? No. God gives that to some to train them. And you know what he gave to the other disciples to train them? A very irritating, frustrating experience, which we're going to talk about next week. (laughs) And with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for discipling us through the apostles' view of your transfiguration. Lord, of this time, thank you for training us and teaching us and growing us. Thank you for loving us enough that we don't stay in our sins, but that you sanctify us. Lord, that we might experience more and more of your holiness. Lord, we thank you. We look to you then. If you would give us this sort of mountaintop experience, we bless your name and we ask for it. Lord, but if you have some other way by which you want to disciple us now, we thank you for that too. We bless your name and we ask for it. Lord, because we want to grow into greater and greater Christ-likeness. Lord, that we might see your glory all the more and that it might be expressed into this world all the more because we live in a world 
of darkness. Lord, may your light shine, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.